Several years ago, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Your church is walking through the book of Genesis together. Our church is walking through a section of Colossians. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Matthew 28, and we're going to read there in just a moment. A couple years ago, I had a friend of mine that I was working with. He came into the office after lunch and said, hey, man, what's going on? And he said, I just tried to go eat lunch over at Subway. And he said, so I walked in and said, I want, you know, six-inch turkey. And uh, they said, sorry, we're out of bread. He's like, what? You're out of bread? Like, that's, you make your own bread. How are you out of bread? Well, think about that for a moment. Walk into Subway and they don't have any bread. I mean, sure, they've got other things, but I mean, sandwich is the main thing, right? It's kind of like going to Chick-fil-A and they say, we don't have any chicken. We can have some of that carrot raisin salad. Do they even make that anymore? They shouldn't. But anyway, (laughs) you can have some of that, but we don't have any chicken. You can go to Starbucks and they say, hey, we don't have any coffee. Or you go to Baskin Robbins and they say, sorry, we don't have any ice cream. You can have some toppings. Would you like a mouthful of sprinkles maybe? Or, you know, uh, we got some cookie crumbles back there. I mean, sure, Subway is more than just sandwiches, and Chick-fil-A is more than just chicken. Starbucks more than coffee, and Baskin Robbins more than just ice cream, but these things are the main thing at each of those establishments. If they didn't have them, you would be scratching your head when you walked in to order. You would wonder what's going on and who dropped the ball. What happens when the church neglects the main thing? Well, for one, we would no longer be a church. We can call ourselves a church. But if we neglect the main thing, the main thing that we're to be all about, then we are no longer a church. If you were to go into Walmart, and this has happened to me, by the way, late at night or anytime, you grab your things, you get to the front, and there are no registers open. I mean, how... You don't want to go to jail, so you can't just walk out, right? Because the cameras are rolling anyway. And that would be breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Don't get me wrong. But there's no registers open. You would ask, I mean, can we not buy anything? And they'd say, yeah, not today. Sorry, we've got no one operating the registers. But feel free to go back to electronics if you'd like to. You could watch a movie back there, you know, pop a DVD in and watch one of those. And uh, if you want to grab a basketball off the shelf and shoot some hoops on the little mini dwarf goals that we have displayed back there, and there's a cooking demo going on over in the food department, and there's a cosmetics demo going on over there, but no, you can't buy anything here today. Well, then it's no longer Walmart, is it? At that point, it's just a community center. Come hang out and learn some things. The main thing is no longer the main thing. It's not a retail store. Well, the same is true of the church. If we neglect the main thing, we will become something other than the church. So let me just give you the sermon in a nutshell. If you get lost in the middle of this, let me just tell you the summary of what we're talking about. The mission of the church is to make disciples. The mission consists of an internal and external progress of the gospel. It's that simple. The mission of the church is to make disciples, and this mission is made up of two components, an internal and external, or the internal and external progress of the gospel. So with that in mind, we're going to read from Matthew 28, 
Yes, the Great Commission. And if you're thinking, oh, wow, this again? Well, let me just rebuke you. This is God's word. Let us be like the disciples that said to Jesus in John 6. Where else could we go? You have the words of life. Let this be a time like that old quilt that's sitting over in the corner of your house somewhere that your grandmother made. That you see it all the time, but you maybe have taken it for granted and you look at it afresh and anew and you see all the details and the beauty of it and all the effort that went into it. Let this time be like that right now as we turn afresh our attention to a very familiar passage in God's Word. It's Matthew 28. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, oh would that our heart posture truly be. Where else could we go? For you have the words of life. Father, give us grace in this moment. We come to you as children and we confess that we cannot hear rightly as we ought to without the Holy Spirit. Father, I confess that I cannot preach rightly as I ought to without the Holy Spirit. We plead for his help, for his counsel, for his comfort, this morning as we meet. Father, we pray that during this time as we turn our attention to your word, that you are glorified and that Christ is exalted. Father, we pray that as we have been singing about Christ alone and he is our hope and he is our life, is our prayer that even this morning in this room that someone could walk out of here for the very first time and say, Jesus is my life. Oh, Father, we pray you'd raise the dead this morning. We pray for salvation. Father, we pray for the sanctification of the saints. We pray that we would be corrected where we have parted from your path to the right or the left. We pray that you would call us back to gospel sanity where we have bleed false gospels this week and are seeking to work and to earn pleasure with you, in favor with you, that we already have that in Christ. Return us to that gospel sanity. Return us to your word, and and tune our hearts to sing your grace. Father, we pray for churches in our community as they're gathering. We pray the same thing we prayed for us here for them, that your word would be rightly taught, that you would be glorified, Christ would be exalted, and the Spirit would be at work. We pray that for Hebron Church and Pastor Landon there across the way. We pray it for 12 Stone across the street. Father, we pray it for our church plant partners in Boston, for for uh, Pastor Clint as he preaches there at Seven Mile Waltham. Father, we pray it for mission partners across the globe. Oh, may your church gather, sing of the glories of Christ, be nourished by your word. Father, may we go back out into the darkness this week holding out the light that we have in, in Christ. It's in his name we pray, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here we are in Matthew 18, I mean 28, verse 18. And Jesus is giving what we call the Great Commission. And this this commission, this this command, you see it there. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to command all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always the end of the age. We see here that Christ is calling the church to go to proclaim the gospel. And that as people believe that they would be marked, they would be baptized. That these are Jesus' people. But it doesn't stop there that they would be matured as his people. That they would be taught all that he has commanded. That so often, as has been said, this is not original to me at all, but we would see that often in the evangelical church today, we tend to think of baptism like it's the finish line. Well, if someone has come to know Christ and they've been marked as one of his people, praise the Lord, and that is definitely something that we should celebrate. But we tend to think then that our job is done and it's not done. Now, friends, baptism is not the finish line, it's the starting line in the Christian life. That we have not arrived until we've arrived, if you know what I mean. We have not arrived until we're looking him face to face. And we see him, we will be like him as he is. Brothers and sisters, I've been really helped in my thinking on this as by one of the pillar pastors, Andy Davis, in North Carolina. He talks about this in his book called The Infinite Journey. There's an infinite journey to let us know that we're not done until we arrive in eternity, until we see the Lord. That we have this journey that will be continual and ongoing. But as I said in a moment ago, that it has an external and an internal component. That the external component of this infinite journey is the worldwide advance of Christ's kingdom. It is the proclamation of the gospel. It's what you just heard a testimony about as, 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 as our, the brothers said that this gospel would advance as they go to Flyer Branch to seek to plant a church there. It's the advance of the gospel externally through the proclamation of the gospel that more sons and daughters would be one to glory through hearing and believing. Davis looks to Philippians 1.12 for the external journey. This is what Paul says there. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul there is talking about his imprisonment. And he says, me being imprisoned here, there are those who are detracting from him and saying, well, you must not be that great of a preacher. Look where it's landed you. And he says, actually, what's happened to me, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel because the whole prison guard has heard the gospel by now. You know, you don't really want to get chained up next to Paul if you don't want to hear the gospel. Right? You're going to hear the gospel. Right? And so he's saying it's actually advanced the gospel. That's the external now, the internal journey is the, the, in, the journey of individual personal salvation from justification through sanctification and into glorification. It's the gradual process of us being, uh, becoming more and more like Christ. Discipleship, of following him. The passage that Davis looks to there is Philippians 1.25. Paul writes this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. Now, if you remember that, he's talking about to live as Christ, to die as he gain, and he would love just to go and be with the Lord. But he says, it's going to be that I will remain and continue with you all, get this, for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, David says both those words advance in the ESV for 112, progress for 125 in Philippians, both those words are the same Greek word. 
that mean this, this progress and advancing, hence the way they're translating, right, of the gospel. The progress of the gospel going out toward all nations, hearing the gospel and believing, and the progress of the gospel in our lives. Because remember, as we just said, baptism is not the finish line, it's the starting line, right? Make disciples and teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. We'll never complete that task until he returns. So this, we see these two, or this journey made up of these two components. Both of these components are part of making disciples. These two journeys are spoken of as often as evangelism and discipleship. And so we tend to make a false dichotomy there, like they're two separate things, but they're one and the same thing. That evangelism and discipleship can't be separated. That they're two sides of the same coin, that they go together. These are the aim of the church. And when the church neglects doing this, it is no longer the church. When the church stops making disciples, it's no longer the church. Now, here's the difficulty. Most churches probably do better at one or the other. Most churches probably do better either at the internal journey, right, of just discipleship and teaching the Bible and people applying the Bible to their life and becoming more and more Christ-like, or maybe, they, or maybe they're better at evangelism, reaching out to the lost and seeing fruit from that and seeing people come to know Christ. And there's a good chance that whatever of these two journeys you think your church needs to grow in, actually you probably need to be challenged in the other one. Because we have a tendency, if whatever we excel at, we think, well, the church needs to be better at that. Because I excel at evangelism and the church is not doing too good there. Or I'm excelling at this internal journey and the church is not doing too good there. But friends, the reality is, is that we need both. And to be a healthy church, we must be a church that is absolutely concerned with the external journey, the advance of the gospel toward lost people hearing and coming to know Christ and the advance of the gospel internally in our lives is us becoming more and more like Christ. And actually, friends, the two cannot work against each other because you're not doing too good in sanctification if you don't care about lost people because Jesus sure did. And you're not doing too good at evangelism if you don't care about the progress of the gospel in your own life. Now, there's a long introduction, but here's what I want to do. What I want you to see is that, that here in Matthew 28, this is what we see. We already referenced Philippians. This is what we see the New Testament just this, this surfacing, this, this making disciples, this internal, external journey of the gospel, if you will, just surfacing everywhere throughout the New Testament. So I'm going to take you to the book of Colossians, and we'll spend the rest of our time there. Our church is studying here in Colossians 3, actually, together. Yes, we typically preach through books of the Bible. We went through the book of 1 Peter this year. And then through uh, late summer and early fall, we did a study through the book of Job. And so when we finish that, we have these weeks between now and Christmas and the end of the year. And so we have turned our attention to Colossians 1, uh, 3, 1 through 17. So we won't, we won't spend time there. We're going to spend time in the beginning and the end of Colossians. Because what we're going to see is we're going to see this internal and this external journey in a prayer in the beginning of Colossians and in a prayer request at the end of Colossians. All right, we see them both. All right. So first, let's talk about the internal journey. This progress of sanctification of becoming more and more like 
Christ. So look at Colossians 1 and look at 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Now Paul is writing to them because he has heard about their faith. This church was not started due to his uh, gospel proclamation directly, maybe indirectly, but actually came through a guy named Epaphras, that he's going to mention in a minute, who came and brought the gospel to them. He calls him a fellow servant down in verse 7. We'll look at that a little bit later on. So Paul's now writing to them because he's heard about their faith, and he's encouraging them. So, so in essence, the whole book is about the internal journey, right? Because he already knows they're believers, and he rejoices at the fact that they have been saved. And it shows us that Paul is not saying, okay, good, that, that's done, check. That one's done. They've got the gospel. They're baptized. We're done. No, he, he understands that there is much work still to be done because these saints must continue in gospel progress in their lives. So therefore, Paul is affirming that the baptism is not the finish line, but it's the starting line. There's much work to be done. All right, now skip down to verse 9 because what he's going to do is he's going to talk about this prayer that he's prayed for them since he's heard of their faith. We're going to read through verse 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's quite a prayer. That they have been, He's been praying this for these saints. Notice verses 9 and 10. He's praying that they would grow and bear fruit. He says, From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can see there that just because we understand the gospel and believe and are saved, it doesn't mean that we don't have more to learn, right? He's saying that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom, with understanding, why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now catch that for a moment and notice the weight of that. He's saying, I want you to know his will. Where do we know his will? In his word, brothers and sisters. That's where we know his will. But then, then notice it doesn't stop there. The knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. How often do you know what God's word says, but you don't know exactly how to apply it to the specific circumstances and situations that are going on in your life? That's wisdom, isn't it? Of knowing how to apply God's word to your life. He says, so that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, what we'd see as we move forward in Colossians, especially he emphasizes this in chapter 3, that we have been made new in Christ Jesus. We've been raised to life, and new life means a new way of living. We don't just continue to live however we want. But we've been given new life in Christ. We have a new king, as we're going to see in a moment. And a new king means that we live a new way. 
But get this, the, the, the weight doesn't stop there. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, brothers and sisters, we have never arrived. We continue to increase in our knowledge of God. We continue by his grace to seek to walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing him, bearing Good, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, as Christians, I think we should read that and say, man, I really want that. I want to bear fruit in every good work that I do. He doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. May you be strengthened with all power. According to who your might know his glorious might for all endurance and patience. But get that with joy. You ever had endurance, maybe? Like you made it through a trying moment, right? But did you do it with joy? It's like, well, I didn't lash out at that coworker. Was there joy in your heart? Right? Remember Hebrews 12? Christ, who for the joy that sat before him endured the cross for you and I. Endurance, patience with joy. And then look at verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We prayed a moment ago that we, we tend to believe false gospels, right? That, that we've got to earn favor and credit with God. No, no, no. God has qualified us. In Christ Jesus, we don't earn anything to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, that we are, right there in the beginning of verse 12, that we are to be giving thanks. That we are to have hearts full of, of thanksgiving, of gratitude. Why? Because we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We, we're, to, we're to be full of thanksgiving because we have a new king. See, through our sin and through our rebellion, what we did is we followed our own kingship and our own kingship only brought sin, shame, sorrow, brokenness, death, and hell. That's it. That's the dominion of darkness. That's what our kingship does. That's what follow your heart gets you, by the way. Contrary to every Disney movie ever made. All right? But we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness. My kids watch Disney movies. It's, it's okay. Don't get too upset with me about that. And if you're like, if you just lost respect because I said that, then pretend that I didn't say that. But anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but we've been transferred from this dominion of darkness the where we brought our own destruction into the domain of his beloved son. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but when we realize that as those who have been redeemed, I don't want to go living under my kingship anymore because the fruit of that is rank, is death. I would much rather live under the kingship of the one who came and died for me. This produces thanksgiving in us. I just wonder if you're here this morning, if you have anything to be thankful for, 
right? This is a trial run for what's going to happen in about a week and a half when you sit at Thanksgiving dinner, right? And somebody says, all right, everybody go around and tell what they're thankful for. And if you do that, that's great. Let me ask you this. Do you have anything that you can be thankful for that you can never lose? And if you don't have Jesus, the answer is no, you don't. Everything else that you have can be stripped away from you. But friends, this morning, I want you to know that you can be transferred in the kingdom of the beloved son. The king who stepped out of heaven to die for rebels like you and I. That that while we were actively rebelling and sinning against God, Christ came and died for us. See, he lived the perfect life, obeying the Father in everything that he said and did, internally and externally, not just external, but from the heart. He obeyed God perfectly and earned his favor, earned his blessing. That God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Yet he went to the cross and he was cursed with a damnation that was for you and I, for our rebellion. And Christ came and died for his enemies. He was raised on the third day for our justification. He had paid the penalty. When he said it was finished, the Father said, yes, check cleared in the resurrection. And through any who would look to him in faith and repentance... This is what Paul talks about in chapter 2, by the way. Just go home and read it this afternoon. That he took the record of debt that stood against us and he nailed it to the cross so that no more. My sin, oh, the bliss. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. See, that produces thanksgiving in us. So this morning, the question is, do you have anything to be thankful for that you cannot lose? And if you don't have Christ, the answer is no. But this morning, you can have Christ by faith. You can repent of trying to be your own king and bring the sorrow and shame and death that you deserve, that I deserve. Turn from that and look to Christ in faith. Trust the one who came and died for you. Now, this is quite a prayer, is it not? I just wonder, what would it look like in the church if we prayed for one another like this? I'm convicted at how often my prayers don't look like the prayers of Scripture. Well, let me just ask you this. What would be the result if all your prayers were answered right now? Who would get more glory, you or God? What if we prayed more like this for one another? See, you can look across this room right now and you know somebody by name, but you don't know them really well yet. They're not in your base group. They're not in your small group. If they don't know everything that's going on in their life, friend, I would encourage you to try to. Yet at the same time, you don't have to to pray for them like this. You see what I'm saying? What if you were to, 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 to say today, when I tell someone, I'm going to be praying for you this week, that tomorrow morning you'd pray, Lord, I pray that they would know more of your will and they would have wisdom to apply it to their life so that they could bear fruit in every good work of their life this week. Does anybody want someone praying for them like that? I do. What if you pray that that just their knowledge of the Lord would grow this week? What if you prayed, you know that they're enduring hardship, you know that they're in the midst of suffering, and you prayed, Lord, would you give them endurance and patience that they could do it with joy? I don't know about you, but I've been through the midst of some trials and some storms in my life when, when I just really didn't think my grip was going was to maintain. 
It brings peace to know there's brothers and sisters praying this for you. That you'd persevere, that you'd endure. It doesn't have to be the most catastrophic storm you've ever faced. Friend, think about the young mother that you know who has sleepless nights right now with babies. And you see it from a different angle. More seasoned moms, right? You know this is a season and it will pass. Although they feel like they're going to die, they will make it, right? Pray for them that they can endure it with joy. What about you? But there's times that I can look back at those seasons in our life with our kids when they were younger. And we've got one that's almost two, so we're entering those wonderful toddler stages again. But but I, I can think about those times and I think, man, I wish I'd done it with joy more. What about if you prayed for them this week that they would grow in their thankfulness? Oh, Father, would you keep them from a, from a critical, bitter spirit? Oh, Father, would you just let thankfulness overflow in them as they realize the gift that they have in Christ Jesus? Wow, th- these kind of prayers would transform the life of a church. The Lord delights to answer these kinds of prayers. You know you're praying according to his will because you're praying scripture, you're praying his will. And what's the goal? The goal of this internal journey, Paul tells us in verse 28 of chapter 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal, is that everyone would be mature in Christ. There's not a Christian in here who would not say, uh, I don't want to look more like Jesus. Because if you said that, you're not a Christian. We would all say, yes, I want to look more like Christ. And Paul's saying, this is the goal, is that we would present everyone mature in Christ. How do we do that? We just proclaim Christ. That's how we do that. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We represent them mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ means putting sin to death. That's what Paul is going to talk about in Colossians 3, 1 through 7. It means unity and harmony in the church. That's what Paul is going to talk about in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. The maturity in Christ looks like unity and harmony in church and that they grow and are knitted together more and more in love. It looks like gospel-centered marriages and parenting. That's what he's going to talk about in chapter 3, 18 through 20. It it affects the way that we work and our work ethic. That's what he talks about in the end of chapter 3 through the beginning of chapter 4. It affects the way that we exercise authority in our lives. Brothers and sisters, the goal of this internal journey is maturity in Christ, that we look more like Jesus for the glory of God. Now, I'm already outed because I just said something about watching Disney movies. So I'll go ahead and say this one too. But have you ever been watching TV? Right? If you don't have a TV in your house, just pretend I don't either. But you ever been watching something on TV and what you're seeing doesn't match up with what you're hearing? You ever been there? It's like, it's really annoying, is it not? Like if, if things aren't synced up right, so like the, the mouth is moving either ahead or behind the words that you're hearing. Or I've, I've been watching something before, some sports yesterday, and there was just this glitch going on, right? So I just turned the channel. But it's really frustrating when you're watching something and what you're seeing is not matching what you're hearing. 
How much more frustrating for those outside the church when what they see in our lives does not match the glorious words we speak? Brothers and sisters, our life and our life together as a church is supposed to be the illustration for the words that we say and proclaim. It should match. Can you imagine the devastation and how many people would get fired if a book for kids was published and the wrong illustrations were put in the book? Imagine that. Like, hey, this makes no sense now. This is about Johnny playing on the playground, and this has got, I don't know, use your imagination, something totally different. This has got Julie eating in the cafeteria in it, right? It just makes no sense. I wonder how often what we say and what people see makes no sense. Because we are not committed to this internal journey of becoming more and more like Christ. So that what people see matches what we say in our life together, in our life scattered throughout the community during the week. So there we see Paul's commitment to this internal journey in this opening prayer to this letter, which he fleshes out how to do this throughout the rest of the letter. Yes, theology matters. I mean, there's rich theological truths here. And then practical, this is how you apply it to your life. But then I want you to see the external journey bookend here in Colossians, right? We skip five through seven, if you remember, in chapter one, so you can stay there. And this is the gospel going forward toward those who don't know Christ. So remember in his opening there, we left off in four of chapter one. Let's pick up in verse five. He says, this joy that we have for you. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. You see what he's saying? He's saying this gospel came to you and it's moving forward in the whole world and it's bearing fruit. You heard it and believed. Others are hearing it and believing. It's bearing fruit. It's taking root. And, and churches are being birthed. You want to know how churches are birthed? Plant the gospel and pray by God's grace that a church grows as a result. And, and so here, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying this gospel is going forward throughout the whole entire world. Now, flip to the end, chapter 4. So we looked at a prayer in the beginning. Now let's look at a prayer request. In chapter 4, verse 3, we see this prayer request. We'll look at verse 2 first. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's important to him, isn't it? Thanksgiving. So continue in prayer, and then he makes this request. At the same time, Pray also for us. Now, remember, he began this letter talking about how he's praying for them. Now he's asking them, would you pray for us? That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is a, a beautiful prayer. This is the Apostle Paul, right? He's got a little bit of experience in what he's talking about here. But he's saying, I know that we cannot do this on our own. If we in our own strength, right, strive, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. 
of Luther's lines from A Mighty Fortress. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. We can't do this in our own strength. Paul's got a lot of experience in this, but he's saying, I need your prayer. I need your prayer. Notice what he says. He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door. So first pray that God would open a door to declare the mystery of Christ on which, of which account I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then he says, just pray that I would be able to speak clearly the gospel. You ever had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone and you're absolute nervous wreck because you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing or cause more confusion and be more harm than good? Right? Paul understood that. He said, pray that I would make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Years ago, I heard a sermon from a pastor in Dubai, John Falmer. And this is what he said. This is so easy to remember. I think it'll be really helpful to you. He says, before you talk to your friend about God, talk to God about your friend. He's preaching a sermon on this passage. He says, here, here Paul is praying, right, that they would, the door would be open and that God would give them grace to speak clearly as they ought to. So before you talk to your friend about God, talk to God about your friend. Then he gives these two even shorter summary sentences. Speak to God about men. Speak to men about God. Brothers and sisters, we talked a moment ago about what what would happen if we prayed the way Paul prayed in the beginning of Colossians and how it could transform the life of a church. What happens if we pray this way that he talks about here at the end of Colossians? What would happen if we prayed that the Lord would bring people into our life who need the gospel? Do you know what's happened so often when I've prayed that kind of prayer? Or you bring people into my life who need the gospel. What really happens is he just opens my eyes to the people who are already in my life who need the gospel. You know, the, the ones where I've sat in a meeting a couple of days before and said, oh, I just don't really know anybody that's not a Christian. Yeah, that's just not true. That's just not true. But if you still stick to your guns on that one, just pray that God would bring people into your life who need the gospel. Pray that you open your eyes to the people who are already in your life. Pray that God would give you a desire to seek out those who need the gospel. I mean, how is it that you could seek out others who need the gospel? Neighbors, coworkers, places that you frequent, businesses, establishments, places where you find yourself often do you know who else has your sphere of influence exactly? No one. It's you. And God has placed you there in his sovereignty, providing opportunities for you to proclaim the gospel, that we would see the progress of the gospel move forward. Get this. Go back to Matthew 28. There is nowhere you can go or your king doesn't have authority. Does that not encourage you? There's nowhere. He says, all authority has been given to me. I've accomplished what the Father gave me to do. Right? He says, now I am authorizing you. I am commanding you to go. And there is nowhere where you can go where he doesn't have authority. And get this, he says, he is with you to the end of the age. You're not alone. You're not alone. 
Pray that the Lord would, would open the ears and the hearts of those who, who God's even bringing to your mind now. People in your life who need the gospel. Talk to your friend about God before you talk to or talk to God about your friend before you talk to your friend about God. Pray. Pray that God would open their ears. Pray that God would open their hearts. And then pray that the Lord would give you the grace and wisdom to proclaim the gospel rightly. Friends, what I've noticed is the more that we grow in the gospel, this internal journey, the more we will be driven to go with the gospel. I'm going to say it again. The more that we grow in the gospel, the more we will be driven to go with the gospel. Just, just back up for one second and look at 127 before Paul says, it's him that we proclaim. He says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, what is this mystery? It's the mystery of the gospel that, that God is using Paul to proclaim to Jew and Gentile alike, right? That, that God is revealing to all. And he says that, that that's what he's using. Now, now, what is that? He says, the riches of this glory. What is that? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then skip down to chapter 2 and look at verse 3. Now, before that, he talks about Christ, which is Christ, that's immediately prior to verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's what I'm getting at. You will never outgrow the gospel. In Christ are unsearchable riches. In Christ are depths you can never fully plumb. If you're weary of hearing the gospel, you either need to ask God to give you grace to repent or ask him just to convert you to start with. Brothers and sisters, we can never outgrow it. We will never plumb the depths of Christ and the riches that are in Christ. And as we grow more and more in the gospel, and as we see the glories of Christ's kingly rule and reign, the more we will be driven to say, let's go and tell other people about it because there is a hope that is indestructible in Christ and all of their pseudo-false hopes around them are crumbling and failing them and the king will return and if they don't know him as Lord, they will face his judgment. Brothers and sisters, the more we grow in that, the more we grow in seeing the beauty of Christ and who he is, the more we will be driven to go with the gospel and tell others. There's great encouragement to end with. Have you ever been presented with the opportunity... I use this at the men's retreat. I use it often. Our people are like, yeah, we've heard you say this a lot. We'll hear it again. Ever been presented with the opportunity to engage in some new endeavor and you thought, I just wish I had the answer to a few questions first. You know, questions that you couldn't answer without a crystal ball. You know what I'm saying? One of those doesn't exist, by the way. But, but questions like, if I just knew how, and the only way that you'll have that answer is if you just move forward in time. Right? But you would be a lot more confident to start this endeavor if you knew exactly what the outcome would be. But we can't know that, can we? Well, i got good news for you. We know the outcome exactly 
in the progress of the gospel. We know the outcome exactly in the internal progress of the gospel in your life. And we know the the outcome exactly of the external progress of the gospel going to all nations. We're told in scripture. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You will be fully glorified and you will be made fully in the image of Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29 tell us this as well, don't they? That God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? What's his purpose? 29, to be formed in the image of his son. It's going to happen. You're going to be fully sanctified. You will be made fully in the image of Christ. The internal journey of the gospel will come to its destination. Brothers and sisters, the external journey of the gospel will reach its destination as well. We're told in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, that on the last day there will be those from every tribe, nation, tongue gathered around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you and I get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. Church, one final question. If we don't do this, who will? There's no other civic organization who's concerned about this. There's no one else who this is their primary mission. In fact, there's no one else who's been charged with this mission except for the church. Keeping the main thing, the main thing feeds a lot of other important things. However, if you lose the main thing, it compromises everything. Church, making disciples must be our main focus. Both the internal and the external progress of the gospel. And by God's grace, we are guaranteed success. If you're here this morning and you say, I've got questions. You you said that we need Christ's kingship or we're destined for for punishment, for hell. We're destined for, for destruction. There's nothing else. And we absolutely mean that. You say, well, I've got questions. I would encourage you, come and talk to someone who you've seen up front this morning, myself, someone else, or talk to someone sitting near you, surrounded by people who love the gospel, and they would love to talk with you about the gospel. And let us read scripture together, and let us pray with you, and let us seek to answer your questions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not be hearers of the word only, for that would be very foolish. But let us be doers also by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is good. Well, Lord, we don't want to be hearers only. We don't want the cares of the world to choke out the seed when we leave this place. Father, we don't want our grasp for pseudo-kingships to choke out your word. We pray that by your grace, that your Holy Spirit has gone before us and tilled the soil of our hearts, that it's good soil. Father, that as we hear the word this morning, we hear it and believe it, and that it would take root and bear fruit in our lives. Just as the Apostle Paul prayed, Father, we'd increase in knowledge of you and your will and spiritual wisdom so that we would live our lives worthy of the calling of which we've been called and that we would bear fruit in every good work for your glory. 
And oh God, would you spark a desire in us as we grow in the gospel to go with it, to take it to those who have no hope, who are fumbling around in the darkness. Father, may we point them to the light. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.